All right. Hey, everybody. How's it going? Happy Friday. I brought Pixie with me. What's up, dudes? <laughs> so let's see if they, if you see us, say hi. That's how we always know. It's a good way to always just to test to make sure we're fine. And not seeing a comment yet. Hey, yeah, somebody sees us. Hey, how's it going? So uh, today we're going to do two things. One, we're going to do our QA. Uh, Pixie's going to help me. Do, do you want to be Steve or Pixie? Call me whatever you want. If you're uh, if you're more natural to call me Pixie, fine. But because uh, <laughs> I think that's what you generally call me. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, Steve, if you're not comfortable with that, whatever you want to do, I'm right. I'm I'm good. Fair enough. Uh, so we're both going to do QA today. Answer some questions. Do some some cool stuff uh, for those of us that are not out there Black Friday shopping because that's just not my bag. I'm not fighting the crowds for stuff. I didn't leave the house today. <laughs> yeah, me neither. Not doing it. Um, and then uh, real quick, I always give a shout out. I want to give a shout out to the to the fan, uh, to the 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 funding that supports the the live QAs every month. It's uh, Bradulist, uh, Zachary Rowe, Michael Newman, uh, Bruce Garris. Jeff Howes, We Backtracks, John Jex, Michael Shy, Michael Shea, sorry, Michael, Michael Shea, Justin Maybe, David Madison, and Lawrence Petros from LPD Pedals. Um, all of you guys uh, help keep this going, and I appreciate that every week. Uh, it really gets it gets me uh, gets gets some help to get some stuff done to get this going every week. So I appreciate that, and everybody else on Patreon supports with T-shirts and everywhere else you guys support viewers just watching. All that is huge support. That drives what we do, right? So, Absolutely. So, all right. Uh, so let's look for a good question, and then we'll throw them back and forth, and we'll see who can, who's who wants to answer. Okay, first one is motor amps. Hi, do you know about sixty-five amps, Pixie? What do you know about sixty-five amps? Anything? <clears throat> Not a lot, other than um, it's uh, modeled in my Viper. It sounds pretty good in that <laughs> so the Viper has a 65 model and that sounds great. It seems to be a cleaner on a, like sort of like a, um, I think like a Morgan style, at least the, that's yeah, the yeah. one they're it's using. Not, so they're, not they high, have, they're not high gain by any They're not a high gain amp. Yeah. From yeah. what I could tell. Uh, it sounds beautiful though. Um, I know that I think the owner or one of the owners, his name's Bob. And I know that they love uh, 16 ohms. It was weird. He was the first amp builder that I ever talked to who who had a preference. You know what I mean? Um, which I guess maybe that makes sense because Mesa Boogie likes to set almost all their stuff for eight ohms um, when they can. You know what I mean? So uh, he was explaining to me. He was explaining to me one time. He's a huge, the guy who runs 65 amps who owns it, he's a huge transformer nut. So he's really into transformers. He has like this huge collection of transformers. And he's uh, he really believes that the transformers in an amp uh, make a big difference. And funny story was a year or two ago i did a video is your small amp loud enough and i had a live band use small amps on a stage to see if it sure. was loud enough and what was great about that was the amps that were loudest what we learned from that which we didn't learn it until after the videos were done you know what i mean in retrospect mm -hmm. but the amps that were the loudest it had nothing to do with price it had to do with how well the transformer was made if they sure. had a really good trans output transformer um so he might have something there with that with that theory, you know what I mean? That, that, a, you know, a nice transform makes a difference. So that's what I know about 65 amps. Uh, I think my, my buddy, Matt has a little Elvis. He loves it. Probably like Pixie will probably agree with me. They're expensive. So, um, 
That means well, all, yeah, it's yeah. in the boutique category. Yeah, so local shops don't carry them, so it's hard to come about them. And sadly enough, uh, in my life, in my life experience now with Nam is I don't consider Nam experiencing product anymore. You know what I mean? Well, you have to fight the sound, the constant sound pressure. It's a battle between, and you can't win because, by definition, you're not allowed to turn it up, right? By rule. Yes. Yes. So everybody runs at the limit, and you can't run any louder than the limit. And <laughs> right. you're fighting this constant sound pressure that's just pushing whatever you're trying to listen to back into its face, right? Like the sound's trying to come out of the amp, and Nam is just shoving it back, and you're like, wait a second. And you're like, I really can't hear this. Uh, the people with the soundproof booths do better. Um, but even that's not... You hear so many loud amps in there because people are trying to crank it up and hear what the amp sounds like. Just because Nam is such, now, let's see what happens this year. Yeah, right. with the, with the have you seen the floor plan yet? Have you looked? Over yeah, the floor I did. Plan? I looked it over because yeah. because you know it's funny. This is going to be the first year, and I mean I've been gone. This is going to be my fourteenth or fifteenth Nam. I'm lost. Like I'll be walking around like a person who's never been there before because nothing's where it was. It's all moved around, but it looks laid out really cool. Yeah, well, they, they've been trying for a while to, to move everybody, and it was hard because people like their spot, right? They've been there for years. they like, this is where people know us, and we don't want to move too much. But now that they opened up the North Wing, they're like, listen, this is it. This is the moment where we get to reorg the whole place. Right. So if you are at this category, you're in this hall. And if you're this category, you're in this hall. So drums are in this hall. Keyboards are in this hall. Accessories are here. Um, digital electronics seem to have moved to the new hall. Right. That seems to be um, digital or uh, new media or whatever you want to call it. And guitars are in the giant last hall on the main floor. The one with the, um, um, the like, uh, what is that? Uh, food court, like way down in the corner, right? And that, like that back corner. Uh, I think that's where all the guitars are going. So it's that Hall D, I think. Yeah. And if you look there, that's where they all are. Um, my friend was very lucky. He was sort of guitars, sort of accessories, and he convinced them to stay kind of where he was, but he was able to go around the corner onto the main aisle. So he is directly across from where, like, Diadario used to be. Oh, yeah. Okay. Diadario is now in D right up front. Which I don't know if people are too crazy about that because once you get through that main door, people tend to stay more towards the middle and less towards the edge of the show. Yeah. So it's going to be an interesting show. <laughs> it's <laughs> <say> the least. <laughs> well, like I said, it, it's going to be, uh, yeah, like I said, it's going to be the first time I, well, since, you know, forever that I'm just don't know where anything is, but it's, I don't know. It looks like it's going to work out better, but it'll probably be horrible the first day for everybody. And I think to bring it around to where we were, you can, ima you can imagine how the drum room is going to be now. And oh, yeah, yeah. The, it's going to be. You know, right. <laughs> and how the, uh, you know, the guitar rooms are going to be. Um, downstairs still seems to be the youngins. Yeah. Yeah, the bottom yeah. isn't. If you guys don't know what we're talking about, in Nam, uh, there's, there's essentially four floors, but three floors that pertain to what we care about. Um, the basement, which is the lower mezzanine, the, the main floor, which is the biggest floor, and then the top floor, which has, you know, Fender and all those guys. And uh, the basement has been where all the new guys go, you know. Um, some people stay there. Like, Breedlove stays down there. They've been around for a while. But mostly it's uh, new, you know, new, new companies. 
um, and small companies. So it's the most, in, most people agree that's the hall where you're going to see something cool and different. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, and for those of you that go to NAM, uh, uh, most of the time, I don't know if you know this, Pixie, um, cause you got it, you go on a different path. So you get in early. Um, the lower mezzanine, you can go in 30 minutes before the, the main show. Even with a regular pass. Even with a regular pass. You just can't go upstairs. So what happens is the show starts at 10, but at 9.30, you, if you go downstairs, you go in there, you can hang out there for 30 minutes and check that out before and the show starts. just take the escalator they, upstairs. Yeah, and then take the escalator. They just won't. So if you guys are going to the show for whatever reason, your first time, just so you know, 30 minutes, you get to crack the, the bottom floor first. I usually do that just because, you know, might, might as well walk around. Um, but this year, it'd be interesting. I have a press pass, so I'm allowed in at 8 a.m. So... That's crazy. I would it think that crazy. they wouldn't let you in till 10 because you're press. Yeah, I don't know. They let you in two hours early so. because I can get in early, but I have an exhibitor pass. Yeah. And it's so you can like, you know, work on the booth right up until the, the moment the, you open. The press pass almost, I'm, I could be understanding it wrong, but I don't think so. I read it pretty clearly, but just in case I have my regular pass too. So, uh, so there, there you go. Uh, <laughs> The next question was, oh, by the way, Lawrence uh, Petros made a comment. He was saying the iron in the Transformers makes a huge difference. Uh, I, that makes sense It makes me. sense. Yeah. I got to trust you on that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, and then there was a question. I want to go right back to it. I saw it, and it was about Charvel's. It was asking what we thought of Charvel's. I generally like Here it. Here it is. Yeah, it says Daniel Perkins wants to know, guys, have you tried any Charvel signature models? What do you think? Oh, so yeah, you asked about signatures. Yeah, well, I did. I tried the Jake E. Lee. Right. Right. And it was fine, just a straight up Charvel um, with a, uh, you know, his, all of his appointments. And I tried the, um, the real nice one, the, um, the Guthrie. Yeah. And that was, that was nice. <laughs> that was that was a memorable experience. I was like, oh, oh, I could get used to this. That was a really nice guitar. Beautiful feeling neck. Uh, beautiful feeling. Uh, just the whole vibe of the instrument was really nice. Simple. Um, you know, a little over the top with the wood, uh, you know, figuring, but sort of brought down with node locking system and uh, you know, a, a sort of a simpler um, you know uh, trem system and. Um, it, compared to other Charvels, I mean, what Charvel doesn't have a locking nut, you know, uh, most of them are in the locking nut territory. Uh, but uh, no, I really, I really dug the instrument. I was, uh, I was impressed. I've done the same thing. I played the Jakey Lee. I played the new Jakey Lees at the Summer Nam. Uh, I've owned two of the Warren D Martinis, and I've played the Guthrie Govan. You know, the only thing I will say about the Charvel artist guitars is. Other than for me, other than the Guthrie Govan, they all kind of feel the same. Like, yeah, they, it, it, that's yeah. why I couldn't really say much about the Jake E. Lee other than it felt like a Charvel, but with his, his color and his style and his appointments, you know. Although I think, if I remember correctly, it was a glossy neck. Was it, it was it wasn't a satin neck, and so there's a difference, right? Uh, yeah, it's subtle, but it's, um, you know, I, I think that's normal with most lines. The artist models not much, you know, doesn't feel much different, but. Charvels, one of the things I liked about Charvels and always have is they they have a consistency in the way they feel. In fact, I think when people talk about old Charvels pre-Fender, they feel different than the new Charvels. But what's funny is, regardless of those two different, dramatically different feelings, they both are consistent within themselves. Right. Um, and on a side note, I think you probably came to the same conclusion as me. Uh, another thing with Charvel is 
man, I hate to say it, but the 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 made in Mexico and Japan ones, the the affordable series, they feel fantastic to me. I don't play them and think that the American ones are much much superior. Oh, absolutely. And, and Bobby had an American uh, Charvel he brought over here. I could have got that for really short money, uh, but at the time I just couldn't justify the. It, he caught me at like Christmas, and he was like, "Hey, you want to buy that Charvel?" It's like six and a quarter, which for a USA Charvel is really cheap. And I should have just jumped on it. And I was like, "Oh, I just I don't have the money right now," you know. And um, but comparing that, he later came over with a Japanese one. And I was like, oh, you know what? I think I like the, the USA one a little better. This is nice, but um, you can definitely feel a little bit of a difference. And it's not that it's a bad guitar, but it's just different, right? That's all. Right. And then we played, He we got the, the Mexican-made ones. And I said, well, well we're kind of coming full circle. This is more like your first one that you brought over and less like the Japanese one. So I think they sort of went back to formula uh, when they you know, when they were doing the, the Mexi ones. And yeah. um, uh, those have been great. Uh, I regret not getting that USA one because, you know, it would be nice to have a USA Charvel, but um, that was a Fender-made USA, obviously. It wasn't, right. uh, you know, a pre, uh, an old <laughs> USA-made Charvel. Those are those can be worth some money. <laughs> but uh, the uh, the Mexi ones are hitting it out of the park as far as I can see. Pretty much the same identical guitar to the EVH with different uh, colors and labels. I agree, and I think the EVH ones made them better because the problem I have now, I don't know which one you have. I, uh, I, I, I got like the, the new, but do you have the new ones with the spindle truss rod exposed, or do you have to take no, your neck off? I get to take my neck off. See, I hate that. So once they came out with the spindle truss rod system like the EVH ones. Right, right. Um, I just but, look, I'm right. <laughs> I got to take my neck off. <laughs> here's, you know, it's like a, when I interviewed but Paul, I, when I, I got like a half dozen guitars like that, though. I'm kind of <laughs> used to it. When you do a restring, you do a check, and you say, well, am I pulling the neck off today to, <laughs> to do a quarter turn either way? You know, what you do, you got to do. Yeah. yeah. But uh, not to cut you off, but. No, you know what it is? Uh, the irony of it is, is that the one you have, I'm pretty sure the Floyd sits against the body, right? It's not recessed? It's not recessed, but it doesn't sit down against yeah. the body. It's parallel with the body. Yeah. But it's not, it has no recess. So the funny part is, I like the Charvels without the recessed body. And I like the spindle truss rod. And ironically, when they did the spindle truss rod, that's when they recessed the Floyd Rose. So, you know, but yeah, I prefer. Right. I don't, yeah. Yeah. I had a double check. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I don't, no, right. No recess. No recess. So it's just yeah. a preference. Nathan says uh, he's working on trying to get his NAM badge. He works at PRS. He's a he's a buffer. Uh, Sander. He works on the guitar. So if you get a PRS, uh, that guy is definitely he's the guy that makes it smooth and nice. Right. Um, he <laughs> says, uh, "What booths are we excited to check out? What are you excited to check out at NAM this year?" Um, oh, geez, I was just going over a list. <laughs> <laughs> I want to, um, you know, I, I I always go see all the main manufacturers. So. Anyone on the main list, you know, Gibson, Fender, Ibanez, Schechter, you know, ESP, uh, Orange, Marshall, Kiesel, any of the brands that have sort of been around for a while. I know Kiesel hasn't ended that brand name, but I think of them more as an extension of Carvin than Kiesel. Right. They've been around since the 70s as far as I'm concerned. Um, 
I, I always check out those booths. I always check out, you know, all the main players, but the smaller people, and it, it's funny because he's got actually one of the biggest booths there is Warwick Framus, right? <laughs> who I haven't really spent a lot of time in prior years at, you know, uh, obviously I'll be doing more uh, this year. And um, uh, I want to check out, uh, interestingly enough, um, uh, Dan Electro because they're announcing something new that he couldn't quite tell me about. And so he's like, come by the booth. <laughs> he goes, we got <laughs> something new coming out. And I want to check out PRS um, because uh, I, that's another booth that could be sometimes kind of hard to get into and to be a little busy in there. And I wouldn't fight the crowd sometimes to go through there and I'd just say, oh, whatever. But I'll make a point to get through PRS uh, this year and um, maybe go to the press conference um and uh, be a little bit more engaged uh than prior years a lot of years i'm pretty winded by 11 a.m <laughs> i'm already looking to sit and <laughs> take a break because <laughs> uh, it's like five football fields of walking right each one of those rooms is about the size of a football field you know yeah <laughs> So I, I also, you know, as far as like pedals, um, the, you know, uh, I go to all the usual suspects, right? Earthquaker, if they're going to be there, I think they are. Uh, Strymon, I think is going to be downstairs again. Um, I always go to the Duncan booth because they always have somebody good playing, you know, like one event uh, a day. It's always someone like amazing, like Nick Johnson or something. But I think now Nick's not with them any longer. And neither is Keith Merrill. So who knows who they're going to have coming through this year. I, uh, I think I'm excited. I'm always excited every year for the same booths. Uh, I'm always excited for Ibanez to see what they did this year. Yeah, agreed. Um, there's always a, there's always a leak about what it is. I mean, this year, I know one of the things I think is going to happen is they're reissued again. They're reissuing again the RG550s and the Desert Yellow, Road Flare Red, the Neon Purple. Um, yeah, the 30th anniversary. We did the 25th, but yeah, that wasn't enough. Five wasn't years enough. later, we find ourselves at the 30th. And and as I as this happens, I laugh every time I go every year because I get as I get older, it's like I become more crotchety. It's like I just want to go there and see it and touch it so I can go, yeah, it doesn't feel the same. Oh, they got this wrong. Oh, this is the wrong knob. You know, I don't really intentionally do that, but I find that when I look back retrospect, <laughs> that's what I was doing. Um and um and uh uh it's uh it's so i'm always excited to see their stuff mostly the hard part of that question is what are you excited to see i'm really excited to see what i didn't know i was gonna see yeah see it's hard because you don't you haven't seen it yet yeah so a lot of times you get there and you see something new and you're like ermager and you had no idea <laughs> that that was coming around or maybe you read about it someone got an exclusive a week before you saw it on some website someone got a you know, Guitar World or whatever broke the, um, you know, the, the story. Uh, you'll see it out there. But, um, you know, a lot of times that stuff's pretty well kept under wraps until the day of the show. And usually they try to send out their own press release to give them, you know, you'll see, you know, PV, you know, put out their own press release. I always check out PV's booth too. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then the next question comes from Bobby. It says, Phil, do you think it's right to sell any gear you are getting from free from companies? Question mark. So I'm going to ask you two, Pixie. Uh, my answer is simple. First of all, 
Uh, that's tough. It's a tough question to, to answer. What I will say is this, and th I like this question because there is something, I don't know if you've had this happen to you, uh, Steve, but it has happened to me uh, many times. I have companies that send me product and most of the time this happens, it's unsolicited. In other words, it just shows up. You know what I mean? They'll send it to my PO box and it'll basically say here, check this out, Phil, and tell us, you know, you know, they're not asking for a video. Just like if you like it, do a video, but I've had them put stipulations, but if you don't like it, send it back. Don't give it away and don't donate it. That's what it says. Yeah, that's ridiculous because you know, if they're sending it to you unsolicited, right. it's pretty much as far as I'm concerned, you know, thrown away. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. That's a gift and you can't put, you can't attach strings to gifts. Okay? I understand. <laughs> my, for a wedding ring. It's the only one. <laughs> my thing is, my thing is, uh, you know, I'm afraid sometimes uh, to think about this. Uh, so answer the question even more intensely. I'm afraid sometimes to sell stuff that I buy that I review. In fact, this year I sold almost nothing I, I bought this year that I you know didn't decide to keep. The stuff I didn't decide to keep, I haven't even sold it yet. I, I usually make it available to my patrons, you know, but I haven't right. been doing that because as the channel's grown, I get nervous what that might do to the company unintentionally. You know what I mean? It's like, I don't dislike it. You know, you're just not using it. So it used to be, you know, I'm not using this thing. Might as well get rid of it and use that money towards something else, right? Now, right. sometimes I think about the fact that now it's going to be out there that I got rid of it. Why did I get rid of it? Is there something negative to the company? Um, and I'm not saying I don't. I'm just saying I think about that stuff. So much less free, I think about when I buy it, what kind of effects it has when you sell stuff. Yeah, I don't know about you, but I don't take any money ever to like review a product. Nope, I've never taken a dime either. Yeah, so a lot of times you kind of consider the product your payment, quote yeah. unquote. Right, yeah. which is ridiculous because you're, you know, especially yeah. when you're getting a thirty-nine dollar or a fifty-nine dollar pedal. You know, right. I mean, it's yeah, not you, worth, you know, a, the the two or three hours of your time that you're going to take to put it together. But that's not about that. It's about building your channel and right. providing products, right? And giving you something, cool. something to have a video about. It's like you know, right. it's better than nothing. So Plus it's cool as hell that this gets stuck. Yeah, I think. Um, uh, I've never, I'm trying to think if I've ever sold anything. The only thing I ever sold was I had, um, three Fuego amps right? <laughs> and I sold one of them because I didn't need three, right? At some point it gets a little, he's like, try this out. He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We changed the circuit and that here's the next version. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's not the release version. Forget, right. don't do a video on that one. Right. Here's the final version. Now you right. can do your video. So he doesn't right. want the other ones back, you know? Right. And I think I had two Fuegos and a Fuego X, and I liked the Fuego X, and I liked the second Fuego. The first one, which was a prototype, was a little dark, and he definitely lightened it up when he got to the second one. So I wound up selling that on Craigslist for, like, next to nothing. Because yeah. he blows his stuff out on the reverb. Yeah. And, yeah, you know, so I know, it's like, you know, it's not like you're making, so I got like a couple of hundred bucks, you know, yeah. for the amp. We're not talking a ton of money here. Um, and that's after going through, you know, like three prototypes and doing a full video, multiple videos on it. So it's like we earn our money through the revenue stream. Mm -hmm. And that's yes. how I sort of see it. That's and, how I see it too. But nobody, nobody in the industry, no giant magazine that's charging these people advertising and all that stuff. They don't ever get, they don't ever pay to review stuff. Um, right. I will do that if I just want to go out and buy a guitar and I just 
bring it home and do a review on it and say, Hey, I just bought this guitar, you know, but, um, yeah, for the, for the most part, um, if something's been given to me, I pretty much still have it. Um, I did, I did a, a pedal blowout a couple of years ago because I had a whole bunch of pedals I didn't want and I sold them to a dealer at like next to nothing. (laughs) Right. Right. Just so, because he, I knew he had to mark him up and he was like, just, you know, it's just one of those things that. Uh, he was a retailer and a friend and I said, oh yeah, well, I can give you a wholesale price on him. And he got him basically for wholesale, maybe even a well, like 25% below wholesale. He got a really good deal, but whatever. A lot of the stuff I get for free, I will, I do giveaways to the patron thing. I'm, yeah. try, I'm trying to cut the middleman out now, uh, when companies are approaching me now, cause I get so many companies now that approach me. And the first thing they say is how much do you charge to do a video? And I don't have a problem. I've been saying this for a while. I don't have a problem with anybody who charges to do videos. That's their business, you know, and you know, it's, this is, you you know, I think for me, it just gets into a weird ethical place where you're feeling, you know, yes, for me, it's, it's not, yeah, for me, it's, well, you know, the secret about magazines, right? (laughs) No. What is it? Well, you don't get a, you're, you're not reviewed unless you take an ad. Oh, of course. There's no negative reviews in magazines. Right. Always glowing or if they're not glowing they're factual that means they didn't like it but they're just going to list everything that you get with it right you know so they're either glowing or they're factual they try to lighten it up but it's only because they took an ad in the magazine that they even got the review so is that paid review right yeah blurring lines it's tough like i said so it's it's but here the good news is this this is my opinion the the fact that just like you and I, if you struggle with the ethics of it, then you're probably not doing anything unethical. Does it make sense? Yeah. You know, I, uh, I haven't, uh, you know, yeah. there's a, there's a, there's a, a line out there for, um, for judges. It's called an appearance of impropriety. Not that right. any impropriety happened. Not that that's it, that you actually did something. It just looks bad. Right. Just the appearance of impropriety. So like if the judge, finds out that the prosecutor is like his son-in-law and you're like, well, we don't know for certain that he's making decisions based on the fact that the prosecutor is his son-in-law, but (laughs) you know, it has an appearance of impropriety, even if there is none. So we didn't let it happen. You know, that's a conflict of interest and you're out, right? They would find someone else to do the prosecuting in that, in that, in that case. So, uh, or defending for that matter, you know, pick a side, either one, it would be a conflict of interest. So um, that sort of appearance is the sort of standard I try to go by to say like, you know, you don't want to look like you're, like you're taking money to do reviews. Yeah. And the ones, the funny thing is the people that offer me money don't really have guitar related stuff. It's like cosmetics and like, stupid i'm like have you even looked at my channel it's like this must be a form letter there's no way you looked at my channel yeah and most of the stuff i get is generic yeah (laughs) so so um yeah so i think with the old gear what i tend to do is keep it around it makes for good props i got every one of the panama amps except for that one um i got pretty much every pedal except for that first round which i sold about 18 months ago and and that's it. I got everything else. I, I did sell a few guitars, though. 
but these are guitars I bought and just realized I wasn't really playing them all that much. Yeah, sometimes, sometimes you have to thin it out. Jared Briggs says, the dude know your gear shirt is my favorite of the limiteds. So look at that, Pixie. You got to do a mo modeling there. Got to make, make some noise. And, oh, yeah. Check, check. One, two. <laughs> Dude, know your gear. <laughs> they, uh, uh, if you guys don't know what that is, um, when we were at GitCon, I was in the elevator with Phil X, and he, I was wearing my shirt every day, of course, right? And he said, what's with the shirt? So I told him the story about how the, sh the where the dudes came from. And I said, yeah, and I changed it up. And we were talking about shirts, you know, uh, monetizing and selling shirts. You know, and he right. was saying, yeah, he's like, he, he, so anyway, so in this discussion, he says, well, you know, I'll trade you a shirt or I want one, right? And I said, oh, I'll make you your own, <laughs> right? I said, right. I'll make you your own, you know, shirt. And then when I, when I was flying back with all that free time, <laughs> <laughs> in the air i started thinking going i started drawing up ideas going oh can i should make a bunch of these you know for everybody that was at GitCon that i interacted with and try to come up with something fun you know and funny right so that's what i did uh so and uh what's cool is and and uh, and I, I wanted it to be special right right so um so uh steve and i so if you guys are interested there is a link to get one you can get the tone king one or or the pixie licks one uh if you guys want one of these limited edition shirts we're gonna literally they will be limited i'm not saying we'll never do them again i'm just saying i promise it won't be next month or in the next couple months you know what i mean because here's why what i what i asked these guys was i said hey if you want to do this uh we will do it together we'll split the funds equally and then we decide you know is you know when we do it um and some of the channels uh you know they're they're uh they're not I don't want to say they're not interested. I just, it's a lot of them. I didn't even ask them if they want to do it. Cause I have a, a less of a, a I have a, a more of a business acquaintance relationship with them. And I thought it'd be a nice thing to do for them. Um, so some of the shirts won't even be available, but like I said, I'll show you guys all the shirts I made. I made 10 of them, different ones, uh, from the GitCon interaction. And, uh, so if, but if you want one, you can get a pixie one, the dude one or the tone King one. And then, um, I, I actually, what's funny was I told Steve I was wearing one this Friday, right? I told you that and you said, oh, I'm wearing one too. And I said, oh, we're going to look like twins. And then funny story, I don't have yours. What? Yeah, mine hasn't shown up yet. And what's funny is, is because I know because I made them, what order they shipped out, yours should have been here by now. But it's funny, even though yours got to Boston, mine hasn't got to me. So I don't have yours yet. It's still on the way. Um, and uh, so, yeah, so there's different ones. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so two things. Uh, someone in the comments said I probably got the makeup thing because of the name Pixie Licks, which actually is actually pretty logical. That's actually probably not that far off thinking, right? Right. Uh, right. <laughs> so <laughs> again, just another reason to dump that name. And uh, secondly, someone was asking me if I still have the diamond. Of course, yeah, I still have the diamond guitar. The uh, oh yeah, sure. Yeah. Um. The. You know, it's. Uh, funny i was gonna buy the diamond on the black friday deal the one i wanted and yeah, yeah. It's, it was been so out of it's, it's been well it was it was out of stock and uh so i decided to go with a different color and then when i clicked this morning it was sold out so i should have yeah. done it last night i was waiting for the thing to click over and eh, so it'll i almost it'll, bought the new the latest ipad they had them for 249 and uh which is pretty cheap for brand oh, yeah. new ipad you know and i was just like you know what i just 
never will use it. It's like, I'll use it for about a month and then it will sit there. <laughs> I was just like, meh. It, it felt like, you know, it felt um, on a whim, a little too whimsical, you know? Right. Um, Bobby, I'm going to say Lope says, I see you guys getting boxes and boxes of cables. How many do you honestly need? Um, well, I don't know. I'll, I'll speak for myself. I, I, I have, I mean, I personally have boxes and boxes and boxes of unopened brand new guitar cables. Um, but so I know he's talking about Hosa. Um, yeah, I didn't get a ton from Hosa. I think yeah. I got one, one of each. He gave me like, yeah, I got some, one of each, know, like a sample. Yeah, yeah. So he sent me like a, like a, like a, like one of the top ones, one of the medium ones. He sent me a short one. It's not like he sent me like a dozen shorts. I could probably ask him and he would send them to me. He's like super yeah. nice. Yeah, but, super nice. Yeah, but I didn't. What I did do is when we were at GitCon and they had that giant pickle, you know, plastic pickle barrel of um, uh, little mini cables out there, I reached in there and grabbed yeah, this. Yeah, I got a bunch of those too. They're up to my backpack. Who wouldn't? I mean, they were like, take as many as you want. And I'm like, yeah. okay. <laughs> I was counting. I was like, okay, to get one pedal to one pedal. I was like, I have like a board of eight pedals. I need this many cables. I got, um, but to answer your question, how many cables you need? Uh, you always need a lot of cables. I have yeah. never, never felt like, um, you know, it, what the hell am I going to do with all these cables? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I hate to say it. I mean, I wish, I wish it wasn't true, but you go through cables. It's just how it goes. Um, but I understand what you're saying. Every pretty much every major social media person got a huge assortment from from uh, uh hosa i think it was personally a great idea from hosa you know uh, i agree they're, yeah they're just trying to get their their name out there uh, they know we'll use this stuff um you know it, it's just an easy thing to do everybody understands the concept of this you know what i mean get your stuff out there it's it's a tough it's a tough market, you know. You can't yeah. have all these articles. You can't see what's what companies like Gibson and everybody's going through and not realize it's a tough market. And you can't be naive, you know. Uh, when you're looking at, you know, these, let's say that there's a hundred gear review channels out there. There's a hundred gear review channels creating something like thirty million views of content a month. <laughs> these companies just would like to put there, and it's very likely. I'm almost being sarcastic. It's very likely that the people watching this stuff are the guitar players. <laughs> so um in fact it's almost guaranteed so so you understand they're just trying to get you know they uh, see it as the new media they probably went to a seminar yeah yeah <laughs> and yeah. devised a plan <laughs> yeah and, on how to use modern media like youtube and social media to promote your company yes and a guy says yeah get in with youtubers get a big presence on facebook and instagram get, get hire somebody like uh, the guy at Hosa, Dylan, who reaches out to everybody, and um, you know, and you, you have a point of contact, and uh, it, it's, it, I think it's been good for them in terms of brand recognition. You know, I don't know that Hosa really needed it. That that company, I actually, yeah, that's one of the oldest companies I can think of. We carried them in 1987, 1988. We had a whole wall full of Hosa cables in both our stores. Uh, you know, in Boston, our, our two music stores. So, um, but you know, they're probably seeing it as a way to keep their name out there. Yeah. Yeah, of course it's, it's, it, it, it made sense. I think it made sense. Um, think about this. I can tell you what it did for me and it probably did the same thing for Steve. 
it made me feel very good that they just sent me a, I know I, I, I mean, I'm a dumb. I saw they sent it to everybody, but the fact that I got included means that they were, they saw my channel, they paid attention. They put me in the list, so to speak. Um, so, you know, I, I think I said this right before I went to GitCon, I needed a hose cable. I didn't call them for a free little adapter. I went down to the local store and got one. Um, but I could have got one on Amazon, some no-name brand one for $1.68, but I went down and paid the $4.99 for theirs to show them loyalty. You know what I mean? To go, hey, yeah. you know, yeah. I was using them just because I liked Hosa. It was a, it's a name I had known because we carried them at the music store. So it was a brand I trusted. So when I would go, I go to a place around here called You Do It Electronics. Uh, they're on 128 uh, up in Needham. And uh, so I'd go over to You Do It. And they have they have everything, you know. They're an electronic supply store, so they have a lot of raw parts in there, and they have a whole wall of um, cables. And I knew I could go and get a cable. Well, when I got there, they'd become a hose deal. They had a giant hose. I said, "Well, this is where I'm shopping." I'm yeah. gonna, and I worked yeah. over there, and they had every cable I needed. You know, I needed like two quarter inch mono that move into an eighth inch stereo, and it needed to be at least eighteen feet long and be <laughs> right. able to send the signal. And they had it. Yeah, <laughs> so, of course. And that's how I plug my camera in. I assign the outputs on my focus right to these two outputs. I say, you know, the monitor out goes to these two outputs, right. and that runs out directly into the cam. Oh, okay. And and it, and, and I, I record direct to cam. Saves a big step in having to go and add yeah, the audio and, later and, and, and clap and, and sync it all up and all that crap. I can't be bothered. I don't clap. <laughs> I, I use my guitar. I hit the strings. You know what I mean? If I'm holding the guitar and then that spike. Oh, yeah, yeah, right. Because you spike it with the string yeah, hits. Just yeah, yeah. yeah, and yeah, it yeah. spikes ching, it. Ching. Right, right, right. <laughs> um, fresh cream, our cream fresh cream says, hey, guys, what's your favorite fret wire? Uh, and then he wants to know what's fret wires on my copper strat. My copper strat has a medium jumbo, which is the standard fret wire they put on all the American standard strats. Which you, you have a fret? I'm going to ask Pixie and then I'm going to say something too. Pixie, do you have a favorite fret wire? I couldn't name it by name, like sixty-five or whatever. You know, they they have mm -hmm. all those different numbers. I don't I don't have those memorized. Uh, I tend to like a um, I tend to like a jumbo on Ibanez, right? Oh yeah, whatever reason. Maybe because jumbo it's, wide. I mean, jumbo maybe, wide. Yeah, maybe because it's such a, such a small neck profile. I like the larger frets to just give it a little bit more spacing off the top of that neck because it is so shallow. Right. Um, and I tend to like medium jumbo on just about everything else. And I think that's what comes on my American standard. Is that uh, on the American standard Italian strata? They American standard is medium jumbo. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I thought. Medium jumbo. So those two be, seem to be the two. Um, I did recently get a 65 um, Japanese reissue um, strat with the bound neck that has the vintage frets. Right. Um, you notice it. They're a little bit trickier to play. It requires a little bit more precision. They're not as forgiving. Um, but, uh, you know, you learn to work with them. I uh, I use, I prefer medium jumbo. And I like the new American professional strats have vintage tall. So they're vintage fret wire, but they're taller. Right. And that's all I really care about. I've never really noticed the width, you know, like how, uh, how Ibanez uses a jumbo wide fret, a wider stance fret. I really don't notice that stuff. I just notice height because obviously when I'm bending, your finger is either rubbing the fretboard or it's not. You know what I mean? So I'm just, right. So I'm just trying not to rub the fretboard. Um, and sometimes uh, when vintage fret wires on guitars and they're done right, 
they're really good, but sometimes they're not. You know, for example, I had a Gretsch that I loved. I, I mean, I loved it. It sounded great. It looked cool, but it had vintage fret wire on it, and I just couldn't play it because it was like playing right on the fretboard. Right. Almost like what Gibson was doing with the fretless wonder. Remember that? They used to like um, sort of a late 70s thing where they would really get those frets really low. Yes. Right? So, and, and it, it was by design. Uh, they said people wanted lower frets. So it'd be a, a rather shallow fret. And it had mixed reviews. Some people really loved it and they, you know, they really went for it, but other people didn't. I find I don't, I, I don't like that. I don't like it when they're very, when they're not tall. And yet, like you said, it makes it, it doesn't have to be jumbo. It just has to be tall so you can get some distance off the fretboard so that when you're, when you're, uh, you know, uh, using a vibrato or you're bending a note, you know, it's like you're a an, an ice skate on, on ice, right? And you're not a foot dragging across the ground, right? Because when you're when you're the tip of your finger hits the fretboard, that's a lot more stickiness and friction than that string just rubbing over that metal bar. That's a lot less friction. Yeah. Um, and it, you, you notice it. You notice it. it it's subtle, but it, it, it's kind of cumulative. Like, oh my God, this guitar is really fighting me. And it's because you're hitting the fretboard a bit more with your fingertips. Yeah. I, uh, you know, I freaked out, you know, when I got the Framus, the, mm -hmm. the Panthera behind me. So I got it, you know, and it shows up and I pull it and I play it and I'm like, oh, it's amazing. And then all of a sudden I just noticed, like, I don't know, something didn't feel right. I'm playing it, playing it. It has vintage fret wire, has small fret wires on it. Right. Mm -hmm. And I, and I'm like, and what's weird is, so, you know, we talked about this, like, with Hosa. What happened with the, the Framus was, remember, you thought I was getting that green one, that blue-green? Because you had it with Tone King out in that interview, and I said, well, that's the one he got. So when I went over to pick out a guitar, I purposely didn't pick up the blue one, and I picked up the purple one because I didn't want to play the guitar you bought. And yes. you told me you bought the Framus, and I just assumed... It, and the other one was a Panthera, but it was like a Panthera one. And I think you said I bought the Panthera and you might've said two, but I didn't put it together. <laughs> um, yeah, I, well, you know what happened? This is what happened. So when, when I, we went to Hans to tell him that we want to buy the guitars, I already knew I was going to buy a bass. This is something right. that was like a lifelong dream to go to Warwick factory and buy a Warwick bass. I mean, I mean, literally I can tell you from the first time I've been since 99, I've been wanting to do that. So that not a lifetime, but that's a long time. Sure. Um, when I, I, I do this, um, you know, like the old handshake agreement, you know, people using a handshake instead of a contract. Sure. Uh, I tend to, I call it reciprocal, you know, being, you know, being reciprocal, you know, you do for me, I do for you, vice versa. Right. I tend Quick to, quo. yes, I try to, I try to hope for the best a lot of times. So what happened was when I went to Hans and told him what I wanted, I didn't ask, you know, we didn't dictate, you know, you know, anything. We just asked. And um, so what happened was we said, hey, you know, these are the demo guitars. Is there a special price for the demo guitars? You know, anything like that? You know, you know you're trying to, you know, this is a man who, who flew you there, who welcomed you, who's, you know what I mean? You're like, oh, and yeah. by the way. Oh, what else do I get? Yeah, yeah, what else do I get? Right. So, but, but realistically, you know, you're also trying not to be, um, 
silly to yourself. I don't know if silly is the right word. In other words, I'm not trying. That's something that you know, at the NAMM show, I bought a lot of stuff at the NAMM show. Yeah. You you get like it. You're trying to be a savvy businessman, but at the same time, you don't want to anger the guy. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I don't want to disrespect. And I don't want to disrespect him because exactly. I think respect was due for sure. So I I basically went with the intention of, and I knew what I was doing when when, when I opened my mouth. You know, it, whatever he said, I was going to do it. You know what I mean? Right. right. But. I'm not going to lie when I was like, okay, I'm going to get one of those guitars right there. So what's my price? <laughs> you know what I mean? And uh, so he, when he, when he gave us a deal and he took care of us um, on the demo guitar and stuff, what happened to me was I went back and I started getting guilty because I knew in my head, I wanted that this purple one. And I thought about that blue green one. Right. Right. But I know better. I knew they were the same price. So that's what, how it worked out. They were the same price. Either one I got was going to cost me the same. But sure. what ended up happening was I started thinking about going, you know, this is really more of their guitar. That other one's a Les Paul style guitar. You know what I mean? Right. This is like their custom 24. It's their shape. Their, their new uh, affordable line of import guitars they're going to releasing this year at the NAMM show has that shape in it. In fact, I, you know, that the guitars feel the same. And, and then I thought about the viewers that will be watching this, you know, this model is available from a $600 price on up. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. You know, you, you're thinking, so you start thinking about it, you know, <laughs> going, okay, do I really want to get a guitar that no one can get unless they get this crazy expensive one? You know what I mean? Right. And he won't get a whole lot of marketing out of it because it's a, it's a model that to most people will just assume I'm playing a Les Paul or a PRS or something like that. Right. Right. So, so that's why I switched last minute and I go, you know what? I'm going to go with the purple one um, because I figured that that was better for everybody. I love both guitars. I was happy no matter what. You know, both guitars were fantastic. Um, but that's the way I did it that way. Uh, yeah. I guess the purple is more of their proprietary shape, right? Yeah, yeah. This is the, the Panthera is because if you look at it, like I have it right now next to my telly, you can see it's got like a telly Les Paul mix vibe. Right, right, right. Yeah, um, and and uh, and I plan. I'd be shocked if I don't. I plan to get their import version, the affordable one. Right. So, um, you know, a lot of people. I think it got confusing. A lot of people were talking about the price of this guitar, and they're like, "It's really expensive." And I'm like, "It is," but you gotta understand, this is like their private stock PRS. That this it's yeah. expensive because of all the uh, aesthetic things added to it. Oh, I mean, I'm. It's almost like they grind their own metal. <laughs> yes. That's yes. How, they have their own foundry out back. I mean, that's how crazy they get with creating right. stuff. So that's why the tuning pegs are all handmade. Yep. The, you know, the the plate crubbing the truss rod is all yep. handmade. Yep. I mean, all the, the panels on the back are handmade. I mean, they, they really, the attention to detail, like you say, it's private stock, top of the line. Right. I mean, that's their reference model. And then, um, oh, you know, okay. to, to basically say, this is what we can do, but we also have, a, you know, stuff that's more affordable. Um, and, you know, you you can get that this level of care, maybe not all the little accoutrements like handmade, you know, tuner buttons and, you know, handmade plates in the back. But, you know, because we're saving so many steps by taking those things away, it's a lot cheaper. Yeah. And the, the guitar... If you don't get those aesthetics, I mean, the guitars, you can get the same exact guitar without some of those wood pieces and aesthetics. Yeah, right. stuff. It's half the price. 
I mean, yeah, it yeah, doesn't make right. it. It doesn't make it cheap by any means, but it's so yeah. It's um, but like I said, I wouldn't have done that. And I think I'm very clear with this. And you could understand. You can relate too because we've talked about this in price of guitars. I wouldn't have bought a guitar like that or thought about even going after a guitar like that, except for that was an experience. Right. I mean, it's not just a guitar to me. It's also like a souvenir, a memento of an event that I went to. You know what I mean? If, yeah, absolutely. If, yeah. In 20 years from now, I'll still be thinking of like, when I see that guitar, I'll remind myself like, oh yeah, Mark Newkirchen and Gitcon. And so, uh, so here's a question from Mikey Newman says, Hey, have you guys tried any of the Duesenberg guitars recently tried the Mike Campbell signature? It was amazing. Thinking about buying one. You try to do it Duesenberg? I don't think I have. Now I'm trying to think because a buddy of mine, I, I may have tried, believe it or not, I may have tried a Duesenberg, but it was a lefty because I have a friend who has a massive guitar collection, um, you know, north of 100 guitars. Uh, he could be even closing in on 200 for all I know. I mean, he's it's an illness, but he's right. got like a lot of guitars, but he's lefty. So when I go there, I can try them out. But I have to hold them upside down, and believe it or not, even just holding it, you can you really can't. Other than an asymmetrical neck, you can really get a feel for the neck. You know, as long as the neck is symmetrical, you can sort of get a feel for it. And I could have sworn he had one or two Duesenbergs there, and um, and I think I tried a couple out, and and they were nice. Um, and uh, I'm trying. There's a there's a bunch with German names like Hagstrom, right? Duesenberg. And Strandberg, and, right. and I think he had all of them, <laughs> all the Bergs, all the Bergs, <laughs> and all the Bergs. <laughs> um, but other than that, I don't, I can't legitimately say. I mean, I can make a story up if you want, but I can't <laughs> legitimately say that I, I, I can, I have a, you know, a distinctive memory of saying, "Oh yes, I did play that," and this is what I think of it. Um, other than him, and I'm pretty sure it was a Duesenberg. But again, it was a lefty. I'm just going around. It's one out of literally a couple of hundred guitars, and I'm checking them out for a few seconds each. I uh, I like them. I've worked on a bunch. Two of my good friends both own one, and they love them. My thing is, you know, somebody asked some, a question like this before, and I really thought about it, you know, like, why haven't I, you know, really tried one? I Obviously, I like the quality. But here's what it really is for me everything I think is a little bit of branding and marketing and you know, how you were, you know, how you, when you grew up, what you saw to me, even though I know the quality is maybe superior to Gretsch to me, a Gretsch guitar is that guitar. You, you know what I mean? Right, right. So I own some Gretsches and that's the problem with that. It's like, to me, when I play the Duesenbergs, I don't really find them dramatically so much different than what I have when I have a Gretsch guitar. And even if somebody say, well, they're better or they're this, that's fine, but they're not really different. You know what I mean? Right, right. It, yeah. It's, I kind of feel that way about Sir. It's like I love Sir. They play really nice, but I can't help but think of a Strat. They're just so close to a Strat and Lux or an Ibanez. And, I, and, I, and I'm such a fan of Strat. Right. Or, yeah, or an Ibanez. Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree with you. I keep thinking about getting a Sir Classic, uh, and I mean, admittedly, they play like butter. The, yes, that's <laughs> what we like to say. Well, you know, and, and no one's arguing with their quality. It, you know, it's just that they're, you know, they're 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 a pricey guitar. And I think it's, I think it's. This is the the thing I always find interesting about guitar players is musicians is a is a. I play a class a, a sir classic, and it's two thousand dollars for that guitar, 
And I go, oh, this is better than my American Strat. It's definitely it just plays better, sounds a little better, it's a little better. But then in my head I go, but this is two American Strats. Right, right. That's hard to reconcile. Right. So I think in my head going, I, I mean, I, you know, I could sell both my Strats and get one Sir. But then I'm then you you that you do that thing in your head like okay but and it would be one thing if it was if I got rid of two things that weren't that good to get something that was good it's get rid of two things that are really good to get something that's slightly better right you, you know what I mean you're you're you... and for as nice as the sir is you wonder if <clears throat> the price really reflects that much of an increase in quality or really just that much of an increase in time necessary to create because they don't have the economies of scale that Fender has. I, I, Fender is just so good at cranking out guitars. They can do it at a price point because they're, they just have the processes down. I, you know, everybody's allowed to have a different opinion. That's why I like it when people can listen to other opinions and I get butthurt. I don't get butthurt when I hear other people's opinions. Guitar expensive guitars are always a problem for for communities like us. We always talk about guitars, and everybody has an opinion about whether or not you know if they're worth it or they're not worth it. I've never argued that. I've always argued with expensive guitars. To me, expensive guitars are about availability, uniqueness. You know what I mean? To me, it's like if you tell me a guitar company makes five guitars a year, well then you don't have to tell me anything other than that. I already know the guitars are six grand a piece. Right, right. Because how could you stay in business if they weren't? Right. I mean, <laughs> how can you make six guitars a year and charge four ninety nine a guitar? Yeah, you can't. <laughs> and and there is something cool. My and it's part of our generation branding. You know, one right. of the things that rock stars had back then, and and think about it, it's a really narrow time frame. If you look at Clapton, right? Look at Clapton. He plays a black strat. Okay. Yeah, and 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 Mark Knopfler plays a red strat. You know what I mean? And uh, Beck, good looking strat. I'll give oh, him that. It is. It is. <laughs> and Jeff Beck is a surf green or a white strat, probably you know white strat. Right. Jimi Hendrix is a white strat. Um, you know this can go on and on for hours, right? Right. <laughs> right? All Maybe the sunburst. Yeah, but then there's a time where all of a sudden, like Eddie Van Halen and Vi, and uh, you know and. Uh, I don't know. I'll just say I'm saying a lot. Of, well, really, even Zach Wild with the bullseye. Zach, I was going to say Zach uh, Wild next. Randy Rhodes with the polka dots. Yeah, the guitars. I mean, yeah, it became a medium for artwork. And and what's funny is, and then, and then all of a sudden, those guitars were available to us. Right. We could have them. Like George Lynch had these guitars, right? And I don't want to stick to the '80s metal guys, but you get the idea. Everybody just all of a sudden had this guitar that was like they didn't buy off the rack. That was right. special stuff. And I don't know if it's just, a, you know, growing up then and staring at those guitar magazines for all your formative years. But to me, having guitars that no one else has is, is cool. Not in the, not in the, you know, I drive a nice car cool in the, yeah, isn't this a cool story? Like this crazy, because it doesn't have to be expensive. I sometimes like guitars that are unique just because, you know. They're, yeah, they got a story behind them. I used yeah. to say that about the, the Chinese Les Pauls. I'm like, a Gibson Les Paul is boring. Everyone has it. But when mm -hmm. I pull this out, and I go, yeah, I bought this for $187 out of China. You've got a 30-minute conversation following after that. Because you're really like, what? Get the hell out of here. I remember I had a reunion of uh, the guys from the uh, music store. And we came down here into the basement from the backyard through the little, you know, cubby door. And the... Uh, and he saw, like, I had a couple of them lined up. And he goes, dude, man, are you, look at you buying all the Les Pauls. I'm like, 
It's about $900 worth of guitars there. He's like, what? He's like, he goes, I, I would have never known. But, you know, he's out of the business for a while. I think if you know anything about Gibson guitars, you'd look right at him and go, no, wait a second. This is not, not right about this, you know. It's just from the weight alone. But like I said, it, you know, it was just sort of like a unique thing. It was sort of a conversation starter. It was a, a little bit of weirdness. It was more interesting than, um, and it sort of answered the question, could you? Could, could it be good? The answer was mostly not. <laughs> mostly, <laughs> they, they were mostly crap. But, uh, you know, some of them are cool. The, I like the IOMI SG. But again, I, would I ever spend $4,000 on a signature IOMI guitar? I can't see myself doing that. But I'll drop three hundred on the copy and pull it out every Halloween. Yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> um, it is funny how it all kind of works, right? In your yeah, head, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it's like you want you want something that's a little bit more interesting than just the plain, you know? Yeah, right. Because because guys like us. Right, who are on our right, not at the same time, but like our hundredth, our hundred and fiftieth guitar, our two hundredth guitar in our lifetime. Yeah. You know, after a while, you're like, okay, kind of seen it all. Show me something new. Show me something different. Uh, something a little bit more of a conversation piece. Yeah, because what's great is I think if you if fair if you're fair and honest, we've all we've all come to the conclusion that good guitars hit. And a certain price point, you know, like you you talk about the squires you like that are three hundred bucks. Oh, those no. are killer guitars. Yeah, um, you that's know. why I, you know, I could never get a the Chinese copy because Fender does it better than they do. They literally beat them at their own game. So <laughs> it was like mic drop from Fender because you know they those classic vibe series. You had a couple. Yeah. They're oh yeah. Standing. Yeah. I. uh yeah, I can't get over how good they are. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's one of those things where, and again, you just want to talk about a conversation piece. You pull that guitar out and you say, you know, this is a, a $400 guitar new, a $300 guitar used. And people look at it and they compare it to what we had 30 years ago, you know, and comparing what $300 was 30 years ago versus today, time value of money, that 30 today compared to 30 years ago. That three hundred isn't worth nearly as much money, right? But on the side note, so here here's the thing, and I, I saw you know that was a subject I thought was interesting. You were talking about that when you were on Johnny Bean show the other day when I was watching it. What's They're not the same dollars? We always compare yeah. dollars to dollars. They're not the same dollars. But you know what's interesting about that is the thing that makes the guitar so good and so affordable also makes them less unique. Right. Yeah. It's because of the tolerances. Yeah. They're, they're so copied. It's a cookie cutter to each other. Right. It's both a testament to the perfection of manufacturing, but in some ways, right, it stifles. Yeah. But the thing is, it's like you were psyched when you got a good one, but not so much when you got a bad one. So they <laughs> yeah. might be all more mediocre, but at least they're all mediocre. Uh, Carlos Lama said, uh, the other day uh, you were wearing, he probably means me, uh, music is when, uh, know your gear t-shirt. Yeah, it was guitars win t-shirt. Are you going to sell those? No, those are not going to be for sale. That's why I said, sorry guys, those, uh, so, so Tyler, uh, uh has one and, uh, I got one and that's what I was saying. In fact, um, 
that's that's how it's gonna work you know um you know it's it's it is what it is <laughs> you know what i mean i did this because i wanted to be i want to do something fun and special when i came back and uh and i did and and like I said and uh uh and you know what and maybe never say never maybe tyler will want to do something one day like a, a thing uh, a campaign the other thing to be aware of too is i don't want to overload everybody even if they did <laughs> what am i gonna you know you guys can't buy if you buy if you bought 10 shirts <laughs> you know what i mean that's that adds up fast um so one guy put on here about uh he says uh, is there a big difference between the american standard and the mexi standard besides five hundred dollars i i do think the components are a little better i yeah. do think if you pulled out the bridge from each and like sort of held them in your hand yeah, the, you probably feel the, the one from the american series is a little nicer and if you pulled the tuners out and sort of held them you say oh these american tuners these feel a little sturdier these feel a little bit nicer i'd say the hardware is the biggest difference in terms of just tolerances the guitars are going to be built to the same exacting tolerances, right? And the setups are done so well now that that's not really an issue. Um, you're probably going to get, um, you think you get a thicker coat on the American? Certainly my American it's Deluxe it's, feels like it's got a it's really different. thick coat on it. It's a different material. So so I, I always start this with saying this. I, I always talk about 2008 forward, okay? Because yeah. it gets a little tricky before 2008. In 2008, Fender redesigned the Mexican Strat. Okay, so 2008 forward. So if it says MZ8 on it, you know, Mexican 2008. Yeah, and it's it, when they went from the solid satin neck to the satin with the gloss front on the headstock. And they yes. Went like the, the 65 logo. Yes. Right, and, the, night, the, the larger 65 style logo. Yep. Yeah. yeah. And the, and the major change, and the faster way to see it is they took the made Mexico and put it in the back of the headstock too. But, oh, yeah, right, right. Yeah, but the main thing that changes there for me was the thing I didn't like about Mexican strats before was they had smaller fret wire. See, so Americans had medium jumbo and the Mexicans ones had smaller fret wire. By 2008 forward, they all used the same uh, size fret wire. Right. Now, I heard somebody say they use different grades of fret wire. You know, that's I've been to both factories, Mexico and American. Uh, twice the american one once the mexican one and i never thought to ask if they were using different spools of wire so i can't tell you that is is, is a fact i can only tell you what i saw um but i will tell you this the as of 2008 because it's called a toyota efficient manufacturing process that's what fender went to when the recession was happening to try to try to fix the costs so instead of ordering different parts from different to different uh, suppliers if they could just standardize the amount of parts coming you know what i mean Right. So the three-way switches became the same. The potentiometers became the same on those. So you're getting the same pots and the same switch on the American and Mexico one, 2008 forward. Okay. Um, and uh, and uh, the uh, the main difference in the finishes is, so, you know, is the Mexican ones have polyester finishes and the American ones use polyurethane. Okay. And their argument is that polyester is a better finish. It's, it's a, harder. It's a better, yeah, it's harder and it's a better quality finish. However... Technically, since the accurate finish should be lacquer for aesthetics, the way it looks, polyurethane looks closer to being right. You know what I mean? Because, you, you know, when they make those right. polyester... is almost too shiny. Yeah, it looks too perfect. They said that's what gives it that plasticky, not-so-correct look, to the, to the, especially to the sunburst and stuff. Um, right. And, um, you know, and I'm not going to argue the whole, you know, 
what those coats of paints do to the body or don't do the body. Cause I have a Mexican strat and I love it. It's, and my two favorite yeah. strats I own is my Mexican black strat and my custom shop. When, when, um, when the, when the coding difference survives a double blind scientific test, I'll be convinced until <laughs> yes. that happens. I, it's all just talk and speculation about, yeah, I think yes. this and I think that. And, I, and, and what it is, is I think a lot of times people make a connection to an instrument and they're trying to find out why. And they're like, well, this one had lacquer and that one didn't. And maybe it's just a nicer made instrument or maybe it's just set up the way you happen to like or whatever. Um, I've, I've played, you know, and, and probably the ones that use lacquer are more consistently expensive. So they tend to be consistently nicer. So people who play lacquer guitars, see, I don't know, they just seem to sound better. It's like, well, yeah, because they were the higher price point than right. the polyurethane and polyester guitars. Right. So, um, of course, they're going to sound better. Well, you know, it's funny is they use the, the same process to paint the Mexican strats, the polyester. That's what they use on the high-end Jacksons they make. Really? Yeah. Because that's why we asked, because we were confused by that statement. They said it weird to us. They were talking about the polyester finishes and the versus polyurethane. And then later in the factory, when they were doing the Jackson customer shop stuff, they were like, oh, we use polyester because it's a great finish. And I go, wait a minute. Isn't that the finish you said that's on the Mexican strats? And they said, yeah. And I go, and then that's when they explained, oh, yeah, well, it's a good finish. It's not, we don't put it on the Mexican strats because it's, you know, it's, it's yeah, but on the Jackson, it would make sense because it's supposed to be like a mirror. Yeah, in fact, um, what they told us, which is a cool, cool little story, they said when they uh, when they acquired Jackson in two thousand two, I guess they had to get Grover back over. <laughs> Grover back, anyways. Grover yeah. Jackson been over. Red Rover, Red Rover, <laughs> send Grover back over. Um, because talk about a cool story. This is in the custom shop, Jackson. The problem they had was they couldn't get the black right. They said Jackson's black was like glass, and no right. matter what they did, they couldn't get it right. Um, right. I never think that was a clear coating issue, right? Who knows? Buffing right. process. I mean, buffing, right? Who knows? Who knows? You know? Yeah. Um, I came so close to pulling the trigger on a on a Jackson USA, and uh, it sold out before I could do it. The, the guy was giving it away. Uh, it was an eight forty nine. Well, right at. Right after the, uh, uh, right after the recession, it, there was a the eighties guitars were all dirt cheap, right, and uh, uh, yeah, yeah, that was probably about right. Yep, right? yeah, yep. Um, you so get, anything with a pointy headstock is a tough sell, apparently. But yeah. I'm fine with it. Yep. <laughs> yep. I'm good. I'll use it. The well, you know, for <laughs> me, you know, cans. <laughs> you know, it's for me. You know, when you, you work on guitars all the time, you know, just like if you work on anything, whenever you do anything for a living, you cringe when you see certain things and you go, oh, good. When you see other things. Right. Old Jacksons and stuff, when they would come in for setups, I was always like, oh, cool. This will be easy. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah, yeah. they were just built well and and uh, the fretwork was usually do, done really well. You're, you're not going to have any issues. The only time you have issues is if they wore divots in the frets. But even then. You know, that was easy to, to take care of. Um, sure. Little level and crown, you're all set. Yeah. yeah. You know, I tell people today, Epiphone makes great stuff. But to me, when I see Epiphone, when I when I talk about Epiphone as a as a product, a guitar, I like it. Repairing it, it I feel like it's just I throw the dice what I'm going to get right. every time. You know, am I going to get the really – because I've played Epiphones that are just some of the best playing guitars I've ever played, and I've played Epiphones where I – you can't intonate them. You can't. You can't get the frets to to, to stop buzzing. I mean, and and they're not exclusive on this problem. But 
there are certain you brands. can fix it, but you have to wonder how much time and money. Well, really, time, which yeah. translates to money. Are you going to put into it and go back to the guy and say, "Well, I've got three hours getting this thing right." Yes, <laughs> you know, uh, you know, three or four hours work on this thing. Uh, so, and you know, it's a very inexpensive guitar. Uh, so, you know, we were talking about the the day. You know, do you do you take a uh, you know a um, uh, like a Harley Benton, right? Do you take a hundred and fifty dollar guitar? And put three hundred dollar bare knuckle pickups into it, right? <laughs> it starts to get into a funny place where you're like, "Wait a second, <laughs> I paid one hundred and fifty for the guitar, and now I'm paying three hundred for the pickups." Yeah, uh, it starts to get into a little weird place. Um, well, when you get on low guitars like that, they really do start to become disposable at some point. Well, you know what's nice though is if what I've I can tell you from the successes I've seen people do. One thing I've always found interesting is there are certain players out there that like a certain style of guitar. So they always play Tellys or they always play Les Pauls. They always play Fenders. Different sure. brands, but in those categories, right? And what's great is if you're into if you're into Tellys, let's say use a Tellys as a good example. I'm into Tellys and I buy a Harley Benton Telly or I buy a, a you know a, a what's the the brand uh, Lucky Kings or whatever they keep putting on Facebook, right? Uh, Hard Luck Kings, right? All these inexpensive type brands out there, guitars you can buy for a hundred to two hundred dollars. Okay, right, right. To me, if if you go with the strategy of you, if you if your brain likes that one style of guitar, I say mod them up like crazy because here's why: you'll learn a lot from them. But most of the parts, just keep the original parts. I always tell people, just get your parts back. If you, oh, yeah, yeah put the old parts back. Yeah. You'll never get those that money back for those parts. No. You're better off to hold on to the parts and sell them. That's what made the Stratosphere a huge company. Yes. By ripping apart guitars yep. and selling out Smart. the parts individually. You're much better to do it because when they're together, they're for, for some, it's almost like when you do a bathroom over in your house. It's like certain things you'll get the return on, other things you just won't. And you know, you'll you'll drop fifty thousand dollars on a bathroom and your how home value will go up ten thousand dollars if that. Because yes. people expect a nice bathroom. My, so you know, it, it, you so you can sink crazy money into something, and people will say, "Well, I'm not going to pay this extra for because I expect this level of quality in it." So you're better off to pull those parts out. I absolutely yep. agree. Save the old parts. In fact, um, when I had my the Ibanez Les Paul, I bought a couple of summers ago. Bought it like the weekend of Fourth of July. The city was empty. I went downtown. I met a guy in like the uh, South End. And uh, I bought the guitar for like three hundred and I think I paid three thirty for it. Um, he wanted three fifty. I offered him three twenty. He goes, "How about three thirty? I go, "Done." I mean, what am I going to argue about ten bucks, whatever? And uh, but I always ask for ten percent off, like right off the top. Why not? Right. So uh, he uh, I, he was like, "Sure." So we we do it. I have the guitar for a couple of years, and then I got the new one, which needed the new hardware. And the new electronics, but whatever. But the body was much better, so I didn't mind what you know getting rid of the old one. Before I got rid of it, I pulled out the Seymour Duncan pickups that were in there, and I just threw a couple of junker pickups in it. And I said in the ad, "These pickups squeal. They're not, you know, these are terrible old pickups. They're in like a no-name brand. I don't know what to tell you." And a guy paid me three fifty for the guitar, and when he showed up, I said, "I can't reiterate enough." how bad these pickups are and how bad they're going to squeal. And right. he's like, that's my style. I mean, to the whole noise thing, uh -huh. like the squealier, the better. He goes, I almost died when I saw your ad. 
goes, because now I don't have to replace the pickups. And so you never know, <laughs> right? right? You know, it's like pull the pickups out. If you really like the pickups and something, you really like the hard, pull it out before you sell it. Um, you never see, I would thought it was going to be a tough sell because I pulled those Duncans out, but it found a buyer. No problem at all. The, uh, Shaman blues, uh, is here and he said, Hey, what do you think of diamond, the diamond renegade guitar? Um, I haven't played it. I don't think you have you. I, th I, I think, don't think I play the ring. Which what, what does the renegade look like? That's the one that looks like kind of like a really flat SG. Okay. Yeah. 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 Um, I did play it at Tone King's house. Oh, he okay. bought a renegade, right? A black right. one with the stripes. It was really nice. It is a thinner body, but it's a little larger, right? It's a larger, uh, but slightly larger, you know, top to bottom. And I think top to, uh, side to side. Right. Um, you know, and then an SG, uh, but thinner without a doubt. The neck was almost identical to the one on my, um, Hailfire. I don't know that there's a big difference in neck profile. Right. Um, so I don't know if that's any different, but, um, it was great. It was a nice guitar. Uh, again, I, I didn't play it for all that long. Uh, the guitar that I played there that I really played for the most amount of time was the, his new Kiesel, his green one, the lime green one there. Right. And I was really impressed with that. I thought that was nice. And I played it as a case show when I was there too. And that was really nice too. But a tank, boy, that, that guitar was heavy. Um, I mean, compared to the other two guitars, which are a lot lighter, that Acacia guitar was like a Les Paul and the other two were more like, you know, vintage strats, <laughs> like in terms of weight much. There was a good two pound difference between the, the, the instruments easily uh, with the Acacia versus the, uh, the other two guitars. But they're all nice. Um, oh, yeah. but I did play that. I did play that diamond now that I think about it. Yeah. When people ask me about diamond, I, I think I said this on another live show, so I'll say it again today. They come from the world manufacturer. There's two main manufacturers in Korea. One's called World and the other one's something else, but it's a W2. Probably Samic. No, and it's not yeah. Samic because okay. Samic's moved their stuff to Indonesia. So okay. basically there's this world and they make like Chapman, PRS, uh, Diamond, um, Schecter. L, L Schecter, some of the LTD stuff. Then you have the other factory in Korea and they make like Reverend. Uh, they make uh, uh, Fret King. Um, I think they make Gretsch. Gretsch is in one of the sides. But my, what I will, what I say is when people ask me like, what do you think of Chapman? What, you know, when I review Chapman, you're like, do you review Chapman? I was just, I was just thinking about this the other day. I think I'm going to review the new Chapman Indonesian guitar. I'm going to get one of those and review it. And the reason is, is I, I come up with this theory. So tell me what you think, Pixie. You say how crazy uh, it is. All right. When people ask me, like, what do I think of Schecter? What do I think of PRSSE? What do I think of Chapman? What do I think of Diamond? And I go, well, yeah, I like these guitars. But when they ask me about the quality of them, I go, well, you understand, to me, they're the same. To me, they're no different than asking me when I say, oh, yeah, I like American Strat. And they go, well, what do you think of American Tellies? And I go, well, they're good, too. Well, what do you think of American Jazzmaster? Well, you understand, quality-wise, they're all the same. They come from the same place. Exactly. So, I mean, to me, do I, I prefer a Strat over a Jazzmaster way it looks. Maybe I prefer a Schecter over a PRSSE in the way that it looks. But quality, I've just noticed that that factory puts out a certain level of quality. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. And, yeah. you know, again, it's a, it's a huge factory it's a very yep. large factory yeah they have their processes down 
right? This is a company that's a, it's a seasoned company. They've been in business yeah. for many, many years. They make many, many guitars and they have their processes down. Yes. And, um, you know, um, you're going to get a very consistent quality out of the factory. That's why people go to them. That's why people go to them uh, and and spend millions of dollars like like PRS to pump out thousands and thousands of guitars yeah. with their brand name on it um, because they can fulfill the order. You know, like anyone, I'm sure, uh, like I, I had some friends who were going to China and they were going to have guitars built for them with their own brand on it. And um, they got some... Uh, you know, some stuff from some Vietnamese dealers. They were like, well, we can really beat those prices. You know, we, we're really more competitive than the, than the Chinese makers right now because of, you know, labor costs. So they were like, great. And they got a couple of prototypes. They, they were garbage. Yeah. He's like, we went running back to China. We didn't care that we were paying more. They had their factory processes down and they, they pushed out a much more consistent uh, instrument. He said, we could see from the Vietnamese ones, we were going to have all kinds of warranty problems. He yeah. said, and that's no place to be. You want to have a guitar that when you get it out, you're not making the guitar. All you're doing is is warrantying it. <laughs> he goes, so <laughs> you've got you've to make sure that you're warrantying a decent instrument. So, you know, these, like you say, the quality is going to be, it should be extremely consistent from instrument to instrument and even brand to brand yeah. because it is in the same factory and, you know, they do runs. I'm sure they do a big PRS run and they do big Chapman runs and they do big Schechter yeah. runs and it's all, they do a run at a time and, you know, they, um, <clears throat> they, they, they have like all the check boxes to make sure that they're very consistent and, I agree. You brought, you brought up Vietnamese guitars. I got a funny story about that. Do you know uh, there's a brand of guitars called Vintage Guitars, and they make like oh, yeah, vintage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, I, I always confuse them confuse them with Vantage. Yes, and so when I was talking to Vintage Guitars, they were explaining that they were having trouble with the Vietnamese factory where they're making their guitars, and one of the things that they did is their guitars all come relict. They're all come beat up, rusted, and and that's a good move because. <laughs> you don't have to worry about the QA because anything that they got wrong is just going to look like it's part of that <laughs> aesthetic of right, the guitar. Right. Yeah, I know that's the greatest thing about relics. You can never come. There's never a second sale. Yeah. There's never a ding sale. There's so, never a floor demo sale. It's and, like, oh, no, no. That's so. You paid extra for that, buddy. So when I was <laughs> talking to him, I said, that's genius. You know, if that's what you meant to do, that your guitars coming out of Vietnam, which are really dicey, are all jacked up and they said yeah even with that in play we're still having problems we have to move to china and yeah vietnam yeah. vietnam doesn't seem to have its issue uh, my personal experience was randall used to make their amps in vietnam and we used to have problems with the fact that all the amps came with selection speakers and they would put the selection equipped sticker on the front of the grill and we go to peel it off and they because the sticky didn't work they use like elmer's glue and glued the labels on the grills and right. yeah so i mean yeah like you said, a good factory with good experience makes good product. Hopefully. Yeah, yeah hopefully. Well, the thing is, is if they don't, the market usually corrects it pretty quickly. Yeah. They don't, they tend not to last. So, at least we hope. Yeah. Well, doesn't explain Gibson now, does it? <laughs> yeah. 
Did you see they closed Cakewalk? They shut Cakewalk down. No, I didn't see that. So Cakewalk is a little personal to me because they're from Watertown, Massachusetts. That's only a few towns over from me. And they were sort of like the local software company, 12-tone systems. Right. right. So 12-tone systems has been around since the late 80s. The guy started in like 87, I want to say. And um, they eventually changed. Uh, what wound up happening was just they got some funding from Roland because Roland had their whole, I think it's Eridol, right? Their uh, Ederol. Um, these are like sort of shelf MIDI units that could do like their general MIDI units. And they, they were sort of tying all in. And they, so I think Gibson bought in, uh, not Gibson, uh, Roland bought into them, maybe in 08 or something like that. Anyway, the guy retires in 2012 after a 25 year run. He decides to, to leave. So he leaves and Roland sells out to Gibson the following year, 2013, Gibson takes over. And uh, right after that, they switched to a subscription model uh, for the software. And um, that was pretty much the last time I updated. Uh, I think they backed off from that, but to be honest, I never went back and checked. Between Reaper, yeah, uh, you know, and, and other pieces of software on the market, I didn't really feel the need. Really, Reaper is what killed them for me because Reaper uh, was so much cheaper and I didn't have to buy into a big software contract, you know? Um, and so, uh, you know, I have Sonar X3. That's the last one I have. That's probably from 2012. It was the last one under that guy. So um, a week ago today, Gibson announced that they're no longer developing. It was sort of cryptic, but basically they shuttered the, the place down. They're like, well, we're going to be doing updates. So if you bought the, and they're still, they seemingly are still selling the software. They didn't say that they're not, but as I understood it, there's no more product development. I don't think they're going to be pr producing any more updates except for maybe security or bug fix updates. Who knows? Again, they didn't handle it very well, but it seems to me that Cakewalk is dead. And uh, that would suck because I you know, a company that's been around, a software company of of all things, right? You know, would be around for like the the last twenty five, really now the last thirty years. So twenty five years of growth, and then five years dead. <laughs> yeah, it's it's they're a mess, uh, you know, and 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 I hate dogpiling on top of you know everything else yeah, out yeah, there. It's like a pig pile. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, we're just sitting there and I'm like, you know, and, and it, it is, we're guitar players. So this is what we talk about, right? We talk about the companies and stuff and, and, and Gibson is a company um, that is just seems like it's made a lot of mistakes. You know what I mean? And it yeah, seems yeah. to continue to make mistakes. Um, and it'll be interesting, you know, um, you know, the real question for me, the real question, which somebody brought up on a live show a couple weeks ago, was what happens if companies like Gibson or Marshall, like, well, we'll just talk about Gibson. What happens if they go away, right? And we, we talk about the fact that somebody will buy them and they'll keep Gibson. But what somebody said was who would replace them? And my thought was, well, no one company would replace them. We would, 20 brands would replace them. Yeah, I don't know that any one brand would replace Gibson. Um I'm trying to think of the uh, probably PRS, right? They're the closest sort of solid. But they're not body. the right vibe. Yeah, yeah, you're you right. Could, you know, because they make they physically make guitars. They're they're great guitars. Well, but, I'm just saying they're USA made. They're right. a heavier solid body style. 
Um, they have a lot of stop tailpiece offerings, um, you know, compared to say Fender, uh, where, you know, it's mainly the tally. You, you get it by guitar, right? The tally right. is the stop tailpiece and the yeah. Fender is, and the Strat isn't, um, so I, I don't know who would fill that void. Certainly it would probably be, like you said, an amalgamation of several different companies. Um, I, I can't see the Gibson brand going anywhere. No. The only way Gibson would go away is if there was like a really heinous scandal attached to it, like a pedophile scandal or something. Like, but what would it yeah, take I understand. to really yeah. soil the brand where people wouldn't want to be caught dead playing it, right? What would kill it? And it would take a lot just because they've been around for so long. Um, I, I think anything, if they went under, the brand would just be sold and probably to Fender, quite frankly. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I don't know. Uh, yeah, I mean, would Fender dare even? Well, it depends on how much they could get it for. I mean, yeah. if it's at auction and you can get that brand for short money, I'm sure there'd be investors out there trying to buy it. But what would probably happen was is that someone outside of the industry would buy it because they're an investor. Yeah. And then and then the shitstorm proceeds. <laughs> because the first thing they do is try to secure up like international manufacturing to like right. And then it just goes to and then the next thing you know, Gibson becomes what Kramer became. Gone. Right, and then, <laughs> right? when Kramer was in the those really bad years where they were just complete horrible imports. Um, it was a good, probably five year or eight year run uh, where they were really bad. Um, just basically an import name until Gibson bought them and tried to revive it. Well, you know, it's and funny to me on a side note, you know, I look at the brands that seem to be growing right now, and there's an argument out there that a lot of the brands that are growing have decided to make themselves have a social presence. And there's an, uh, this is an argument, and I think it's interesting. The argument is, in a world where everybody can interact with the companies they like to be part of, right? I don't know if you've ever heard this term before. You, you know, everybody knows the term lifestyle branding, and there's another term, it's called tattoo branding. It's, in other words, like Ford, Chevy, you know, uh, su the Superman logo, things that people tattoo on their body. Those are brands, and they tattoo right. them on their body, right? And so Gibson and Fender are considered tattoo brands. You know, somebody tattoos a strat on their arm, you don't think that's strange. Like my, like my Wendy's tattoo. Yeah. <laughs> do, you ever, do you have a Wendy's tattoo? Or is it a, oh, oh, I don't have a single tattoo. <laughs> like a, Please. I cry when my hair is cut, let alone a tattoo. <laughs> so so the the the... I lost my train of thought. No, the, the point is <laughs> tattoo branding. So in other words, that people identify with the brand and they want to be part of it. Does it make sense? Yeah. You know, what's interesting to me yeah. is, you know, what's interesting no, to me is. They're so faithful. Yes. Right. It's yeah. a really a brand faith that they're yes. really, you know, it's like I, 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 you you must have seen them out there, right? Because the, the, they show up on Facebook all the time. The guy who shows up to a job and he says, all right, well, here's your truck. And the guy's like, I'm not driving that. He goes, what? He goes, yeah, I can't drive a Chevy. Right. Because right? he's a Ford guy. And he's like, yeah, well, if, if you're working for us, you're driving the Chevy. He's like, yeah, I can't take the job. It's like, are you insane? So so here's a, so here's an interesting thing. And Tom, I'm going to read a comment, and then I want to add to it. So Thomas K. said, Gibson will always be around just like Coca-Cola. Interesting. I have some interesting information for you. For, for Thomas. 
So I don't know if you know it or not, but Coca-Cola and Pepsi, they're not doing so great. They they're 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 living on other brands right now, like uh, Budweiser. You know, is buying up all the uh, craft breweries across the country. You know what I mean? Because as the customers, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, kids are not drinking soda like they used to. They're drinking. Oh, I mean, no. the sport. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying it's better. The sports energy drinks are more popular. The vitamin waters, the yeah. bottled well, water. That's because they bought them. Yeah, yeah, they bought them. Right, they bought, right, Coca-Cola, that, right, but that's right. the irony of it. Coca-Cola yeah, yeah. and those guys, they're buying these uh, energy drinks, they're buying these other drinks, but the point is, is at some point they bought them because they realized that their brands were not growing at the rate that they used to grow. Now, well, we're like not talking Kentucky about- Fried Chicken tried to rebrand themselves KFC because they didn't like the word fried right. so prominently displayed in their name, despite, they never really reformulated their product. Right, but they they saw the writing on the wall in terms of like Dunkin' Donuts up here is going through that right now. They don't like the word donut in their name, so they're floating out so Dunkin', <laughs> and they and they changed their logo from a bitten from a bitten donut to a cup of coffee about ten or fifteen years ago in a, in a, in an effort to get away from donuts right. and to focus more on the coffee because coffee is healthier in most people. Well, I don't think it's healthier, but well, people certainly want than, it. certainly than donuts, right? That's, yeah. that's their argument. So they've been floating Dunkins, which everyone around here laughed at because it's Dunks. No one calls it Dunkins. It's like if you ever said Dunkins, it'd be like, "Oh, where are you from?" Right? It's like, <laughs> like you're not from around here, are you? <laughs> so um, yeah, no, I I know what you're saying. Like the branding, um, yeah, it's it's so huge. And Gibson is, I think, I think there's an argument to be made that they're a tattoo brand, right? That they're yeah to that you know, level. So here's where here's people are militant about them. Well, here's a here's an interesting point. So this is something I was discussing. Uh, this is the things I talk about on Thanksgiving. Apparently, we're <laughs> talking about guitars. Um, so something interesting that I thought about. You know, Gibson has considered itself. They were trying to market the brand lifestyle concept. You know, that was one of their that was one of their marketing tools they were doing in the last yeah. couple of years. Well, yeah, they wanted to branch out from guitars, which they saw, you know, phones going. They're like, well, we'll do technology. We'll get a yeah. software company. We'll get into electronics. What they didn't realize is that the margins in electronics companies are razor thin. Yeah. It's not, you know, not everybody's Apple. Yeah. Who can who can get these huge margins? Everyone else survives on much thinner margins. Yeah. And uh, they were healthy when they were only a guitar company. Yeah, it, it's really the, the 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 these other companies are sort of dragging them down um, because they they just can't, from what I can see, um, do as it, the numbers that probably Gibson thought that they might do it. They wanted to do headphones, and you know they wanted to do a branch out into all this other stuff. They were coming out with an app under the Cakewalk brand. Is that shelved now? Yeah. Right, they were just about to announce an iOS app. Is that gone now? I mean, who knows? Um, it's just, oh, Gibson. <laughs> yeah, we'll have to see. You know, so something that so what? What made me? <laughs> Random Lev said Gibson is, a, in my mind, is an old man's guitar. Yeah, it's well, possible. People, yeah, I mean, I, I, I still. Think but it's is cool. the electric guitar in general an old man's game? Could be. I don't want to bum myself out right now, so we're not yeah, talking about that. Yeah. But right. I will say this: uh, <laughs> you can get a chair uh, and a rope. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> Mario's like, can you imagine if Apple ends up buying Gibson? Um, yeah. Well, you yeah, know, it's funny. So this is the part I was going to tell you—the funny part that I looked up yesterday that made me laugh. 
I was looking up Gibson's uh, uh, social media, right? Yeah. So how big do you think their YouTube channel is? Well, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd be bummed if they had fewer subscribers than me. <laughs> no. Yeah, they, they have more, uh, but yeah, not much. Gonna, yeah. Not much more. Like, Please. It's like, yeah. I would think they'd have over a hundred thousand or even 250,000 really. They have about a hundred and like 109,000 subscribers yeah. Yeah. And, and like 21 million views in the last 10 years, um, which is really good. But you know, when you look at some other companies that are much smaller than them, they've achieved those same numbers. So right. it's just interesting. Um, Okay, so we're gonna call. We went a little over, but there was uh, there's 653 of us hanging out. So Man. yeah, you guys, <laughs> no one's no one is speaking of guitars. No one's out there buying guitars right now. They're watching watching us and talking to us. Um, well, we can only hope they bought a few online while during the show. Yes, the, uh, <laughs> the uh, <laughs> yeah. Anyone gonna buy any cool guitars over the weekend? Anyone got any? I went on Sweetwater, and I was funny enough last night. I was looking at Charvels. <laughs> Really? <laughs> yeah. I don't know. You know you how thinking? it is. Maybe a San Dimas, maybe a SoCal. You know, I had the San Dimas and I got rid of it. And the reason I, it was, yeah, there was no good reason. I want to, I want a <laughs> SoCal. That's what it is. Yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah. So I was looking at SoCal, but believe it or not, uh, if the, I think the, uh, the, the gear, I don't know, powers that be were trying to keep me under bay cause it's out of stock. <laughs> So I went there and the one I wanted was out of stock. So it seems like everything I wanted was out of stock. I'm like, okay, good. That's good. Maybe I don't need anything. So I know sometimes I'm relieved. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, thank God. <laughs> it's like, cause I can't help myself. <laughs> the, <laughs> um, okay. So let's try, let's try one more question and we'll, we'll call it. Um, trying to see. Somebody's, somebody's saying, please say thumb. Hi to, hi to Terry Bear. Hi to Watchman for you. A couple of regulars. Oh, yeah. Well, Terry Bear's a moderator here. Is he a moderator for your channel, too? He is. Yeah. He's a good guy. Thank you, Terry Bear. Yes. So I always love it. I'm like, one last question. And then you start, they just tell us statements. I'm like, oh. Right, right. <laughs> um, and then it's, my cat's breath smells like cat food. <laughs> okay. Oh, Do you have a here, question? <laughs> here's an here's a here's an interesting thing. So uh, I want to say Avidas. Avidas says, "What year would you say was the last last year for good quality control at Gibson?" Les Paul's, you know, and he's like 2006 ish. What's so the what year I, I own? <laughs> what's the year I own? Um, you know what I've, I? I'll let Pixie answer, and I'll, I'll answer real fast. Um. For me, they've always been dodgy. I make jokes all the time. You know, people would bring in and let me work on these 70s era Les Pauls, 60 era Les Pauls, you know, vintage Les Pauls, right? Everything I, I could find wrong with new ones, I found wrong with the old ones. In fact, if anything, my argument is it's a, it's a double-edged sword. You could argue that Gibson hasn't changed anything so that they can keep the, 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 the formula the same. But because they didn't change anything, the issues that you get with, with their factory is the same. Uh, when you go to the Gibson factory and you watch how they make guitars and a lot of people walk out of that factory and they're impressed. I was never impressed with their factory because when you see Music Man's factory, when you see Paul Reed Smith's factory, you see Framus's factory, 
yeah, you could say, yeah, that, that's old world craftsmanship at Gibson. The problem, though, is it doesn't really vibe like old, old world craftsmanship. It vibes like if any of a, everybody's worked for somebody that's like this. I've worked for people where they're cheapskates. They're, you know, they're a cheap ass and they wouldn't fix anything. And and your job was made twice as hard every day because the owner the guy says, wash the front window and he tears off one paper towel <laughs> right, and hands it to you and says, here it is. Make it work. Yeah. And that's, and that's the vibe I got. This process was kept in place, not because it was the right way or it's this old tradition because you can't go, okay, we're going to start CNCing guitars, right? Instead of hand guiding them and then go, but we're still going to do this stuff by hand when you when when i'm there going well i know that machine that would do that for you is 480k that's why you didn't do it you know what i mean right um and so my point to that is i don't think there's a good year for gibson what i think now is is that uh gibson i always call it asking forgiveness no business is perfect and businesses that uh, live in our world, unlike Apple, who can make a, a very standard product every time, you know, and a tablet is a very standard product every time. Okay. Um, guitars are not standard. They're all over the place. And I don't care how good you are. I don't even care if you're like your PRS or your Ibanez or your Framus and you're like, we, we've mastered this. The truth is there's, there's issues there. You know, um, I got a PRS cabinet the other day. It's down there. It had glue on it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, you know, uh, so th there's mistakes that, ha that happen out there. But what happens is what you want is you want to build a rapport with your customer base that says, okay, I bought some other products. There's a consistency there. This is a mistake. You know, I don't, you know what I mean? And you work with the customer base. Gibson has, that's where I think they failed. They failed to build a community because, so they're, in other words, they're so easy to hate. You know what I mean? Yeah. They, they, and so, so it's not that they're not making good guitars anymore. It's just we're less forgiving because they haven't done anything else other than make those guitars. Even when you go on their own website, there's a lot of hate in the comments when they come out with new guitars. They're like, what the hell is this? And blah, blah, blah. And you're too expensive. And, you know, it's like they never address any of that. You know, um, and, and sometimes people would say that, that you can't win. Don't don't engage. You know, uh, I get it. But. Um, yeah, I know what you're saying. It's like they don't have the lovey huggy community yeah. that um, that other brands seem to have. And it's they, not. I mean, if you, and if you go to the like the the Les Paul forums, a lot of it's griping, <laughs> right? Well, and I it's, mean, it's 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 not new. I read a guitar. I read a guitar magazine. You know, back when there was right. guitar magazine, I opened it yeah. up and there was an interview with Def Leppard and. Um, Let's see the guitar players. You got Phil Collin. Who's the other guy? The um, well, Vivian Campbell for a Vivian while. Campbell. Okay, yeah. So Vivian Campbell, they asked him what gear he used. Somebody maybe know what I'm talking about. This is I'm. They asked him what he was using, and he says, "Well, I'm using Marshalls and Gibsons, but I hate to say that because I hate to give any effing credit to Gibson because I hate them so much." And they treat their artists like crap. This is like 20 years ago, 15 years ago. And he goes, so I just use my old Gibson Les Pauls. I, I wouldn't make that big deal of that statement. But the only reason it's in my mind fresh is because all this stuff. You know what right. I mean? It's just one more thing. I go, oh, yeah, I remember that. So that was problems back then. So, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Gibson is uh, sort of, um, you know, look, that's just the way it is. Take her to leave it. And the problem is, is a lot of people are leaving it. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, what I'm curious about, 
And then we'll, we'll end with this note. What I'm curious about is I, I'm curious to see what it is actually doing to them. I know we're talking about it and I know they're out there do, making reactions, but I, I, I don't know about you. I went on Reverb. I went on eBay. I can't go on Craigslist because uh, it's, it's too vast, but uh, Reverb and eBay. And um, if you go on Reverb and eBay and type in like Gibson used, Oh, and I went on guitarcenter.com too. But you go in there and you go, I'll use Reverb because I can tell you what I saw was very consistent across all three of those used entities. You go on Reverb and type in Gibson Les Paul Standard and then hit used. And there was like 1,500 of them for sale. Okay? That's not a lot. Right. I mean, it sounds like a lot, 1,500, but they make more than that a month. So that right. means if they were to stop making guitars tomorrow, theory-wise, Reverb's used inventory could be exhausted in a month to two months. You know what I mean? If we so so, my point is, it looks like people are still buying Gibsons. You know what I mean? It does. It. I don't see. And the reason I and I'll be honest, the reason I was looking was when you hear all this stuff. This to me as a guitar collector is kind of like the stock market. Once I heard, oh, Gibsons doing horrible. Everybody hates Gibsons. Well, let's see how cheap I can buy Les Paul. You know what I mean? I was right. looking for a standard for twelve hundred bucks, and they ain't a twelve hundred dollar standard out there to be sold. So. So even though we talk about them, and I don't mean, and people go, yeah, but that's old ones. I'm like, no, you can't buy a 2017 Les Paul standard for dirt cheap. So I don't think they're, I don't think they're, that part is the, the guitar part is the problem. It's everything else. Yeah. There's still a demand for the product because it's yeah. an iconic look. So uh, they don't take the hit like other brands take, right? right. In terms of like resale value. You know, they tend to hold their value because it's a classic design yeah. and, and people are willing to, you know, to, but I mean, you're still, every guitar takes a hit when you, when you, yeah. after you get it new, but, um, it's not like you're buying it for 1999 and you're lucky to get 999 for it. You can probably get it for 1999 and get 1500, yeah. you know, 1400 all day long and not take that big of a hit like you would with maybe some other brands. So, so last question, and it's going to be from me to you. So what guitar do you think sticks in your head as having the best resale value? And uh, it's not, I'm not holding it to you firmly, just generally speaking with your experience of collecting guitars, what guitars do you feel like when you buy, you're like, I'll get most I, of this back. If I buy it used. Sure. If I buy it used always without a doubt, lower end guitars. Yeah. Because there's a certain bottom to the market. And as long as I'm around that bottom, I will always get that money back and I won't have to worry too much. So usually when I get a guitar for under $500, I can get what I paid for it or maybe even a little bit more than I paid for it back if I'm savvy enough when I buy it. Like a classic example is that Ibanez Les Paul. You know, I bought that for 330 I pulled the pickups out and resold it for 350 and kept the yeah. vintage Seymour Duncan, you know, pickups uh, wound by uh, Lydia Daniels and um, and uh, Juarez, right? Um, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Abigail right. Yabarez, you mean? No, no, no. Um, no. The other one. Um, she's from Fender. Uh, yeah. Duncan there. Um, oh, God, it's on the tip. Someone will write in the, in the uh, MJ. Oh, MJ. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, Juarez is the last name, but I can't yes. think of um, M. Yes. Anyway, you know, Marika? Yeah. No, <laughs> so, it's not Marika. Um, it's something like that. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
Well, you know, for me, you, you know, it is for me, uh, the guitars uh, that to me always in my head hold the most value, Mexican made Strats and Tellys. Yeah, yeah. So I was just about to say my my Mexi Strat, I got just about what I paid for it. No yeah. problem at all. Sold it in like a day off of Craigslist. Um, the Squires, you can pretty much always get. You if know, you buy a Squire used, you're safe. If you buy a Squire used, you're totally safe. Yeah, they take the know? hit. They take that hit, but then they don't seem to, to take any more hits after that. Yeah, yeah. You know, I bought that Squire Telly for $199. I could sell it for $200 all day long. In fact, they're really selling a little bit more now. We're, we're around $275, $300 now because there's, there's not as many on the market as there was a couple of years ago. Um, and so I, I always think the biggest hit you're going to take is on a brand new expensive guitar. That's oh, absolutely. Absolute. It's like if you went out and bought a brand new expensive car. It's really yeah. the same thing. The second yeah. those wheels hit the pavement, you're down 30%. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, you know, uh, yeah. <laughs> thing is, I've, had, I've had companies, uh, you know, I've talked to and I say, yeah, I'm interested. You know, we're talking about guitars, you know, for reviews and stuff. And they're like, hey, we'll sell you a guitar for cost. And they'll give me the number. And I've just went and bought it used because I can get it for that price used or. Well, that's the problem even. with the PRS because they're like, oh, yeah, we can give you an artist discount. Yeah. But it's like a $4,000 guitar for yeah. 2500 It's yeah. like, yeah, but I could probably get that same guitar. Maybe not the 4000 but I could get like the 3500 for around yep. 1500 yes. if I looked hard enough. And, Those... was... and, you know, here's an interesting thing, too, on the, on the Mexican Strat thing. Do you know, I, I have a theory that. I call it's five years. If you buy a new Mexican Stratortelli, brand new, yeah, five years from now when you sell it used, it almost sells for what it was new when you bought it. Because I have all the, I have all the Fender, yeah, I have all the Fender catalogs from '88 forward, and I have all the price lists. And when you go through it, you know, think about this way, you know, so so ten years ago you buy a Mexican Strat for three ninety nine. Right now they're five ninety nine. Now you expect to pay you three fifty, right? So it is interesting. You know what I mean? Yeah, and then sometimes they do. So a couple of years ago, they brought in all these. They brought in six new colors for the vintage series. I think three new fifties colors and three new sixties colors, like the canary and the lilac. Right? These 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 exclusive colors to um, Guitar Center. So they come out in late August, early September, right? By late October, early November, maybe early December 1st, or maybe around Black Friday weekend, somewhere around there, they drop them from $7.99 to $5.99. And you can get them for weeks and weeks and weeks, brand new, $5.99 for that. Now, everyone buys them up. Two or three months later, doesn't float your boat anymore. Now you bring it back in the guitar center, you trade it in. They started showing up there because it wasn't selling at $7.99. They start looking up and say, well, wait a second. We were selling those for $5.99. So we can't give you based on the $7.99 retail. So we're going to give you X amount on a trade-in or on a sale. You you could have got those $3.99, $4.49. They, they, they're, they're, they've jumped up since then. But it, it really goes to show you the supply and demand and where like they, those weren't selling. And so boom, $200 price drop right there at the, at the store. And then people trade them in another 150 to $200 price drop right there.
Uh-oh, did we lose Phil? Phil, where'd you go, buddy? He froze for a second. I think we're still live. Still live there, dudes? He froze for a second. Now I don't see him. Oh, there he is. Yep. Yeah. That, gotta love gotta love the internet. Um, so I was going to tell you, uh, uh, so uh, there's two last interesting questions that I just can't pass them up. Okay. Um, and um, one was, one was Shaman Blues again. And he said, Pixie, have you raised your price limit on buying guitars? Well, you know, the price limit was always a suggested price. And it's a game you play, right? That's what you want to be at. It, that's not necessarily the case. Like, in other words, if you say, okay, I have a, th I have a $300 price limit, but I'm looking at a Les Paul standard for $799. Oh, well, too bad my price limit is, you know, $300. I can't do this, right? It's like, no. You're like, I know what the market is. I know that $799 is an insane deal on that. So, of course, you would go, you know, it's really about... The reason why I would go for 300 was because you would be surprised. That was seemed to be the magic number. So, right, that that was the price point where you could really get something decent. Like if I set that at 199, it would be a lot harder. But 299 is that magic price point where you can get like my 60s player strat with the custom shop pickups. I paid 299 for that. I paid 325 for my 1983 Kramer Pacer you know, Imperial, uh, gorgeous guitar, original Floyd Rose on it. Uh, so, I mean, if you're, I paid, um, I want to say $299 for my, no less, I paid $260 for my uh, Ibanez Radius. You know, that was like a $799 guitar back in 1988. So, you know, again, these aren't, you know, super you know, popular guitars right now. And that's probably why they're depressing them, but, uh, you know, keep, you know, keeps the price down, but still I could turn around and sell that radius for more than $260 any day of the week, like no problem at all. So I try to go for the 300 that I, you know, I've really made some scores around there, but you know, sometimes you see a guitar and you're just like, okay, <laughs> let's do this, you know? Um, and then the last one was, Oh, you there? Okay. Yeah, I'm so here. Make sure nothing froze. Check, check, one, two. Oh, this one was to me. It said, Mike Page said, Phil, what did Gibson sell you guitars for? Was it cost? Um, I bought uh, my Gibson I bought from Sam Ash, and Sam Ash gave me a 15% off coupon that I asked him to match to the Guitar Center. Um, and then when sales tax was like 9% back then, so I got basically 6% off what I can get it from the internet for. So um, the... My problem is, you know, I had the same problem with the store. You know, people at the store would be like, you should contact the company and, and get them to sell you the thing, you know, dirt cheap. And I would tell my friends, I'm like, yeah, but when I call them, then they want to talk about orders for the store. <laughs> like, oh, yeah, we'll hook you up. Anyways, let's talk about what you need for your store. You know what I mean? And then that deal could really not be a great deal anymore once you buy in to all this other stuff, right? Or right. And I have the same problem now with YouTube. Um, people go, oh, you should contact this company and tell them, hey, you have this channel and give you a smoking deal. 
but I, I don't want to be beholden to anybody. You know what I mean? I don't want to be like, oh, okay, yeah. You know, I, I've gotten, I've already, I've, you know, and you learn fast. I think any anything you do in life, you learn fast, hopefully. I learn fast too. Anytime I interact with certain companies and I thought, you know, hey, let's let's use some of this YouTube-ness to see what I can get. You know what I mean? Let's see if they'll give me an extra 10 off because I'm, you know, I have an audience or I have something I can le uh, leverage against that. Um, what I found is they can leverage just as fast against me. Right. You know I mean? They'll come back and they'll go, hey, I hope you're enjoying that. And by the way, what we'd like now is, and I'm like, oh, and what do you say no when you, you know, so I'm actually been gun shy and I can't really justify and tell you that there's been bad situations. I don't have any bad situations, but it's, it's never occurred to me to call the Gibson marketing team and say, hey, <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah, because in my head, I it, there's just no no good that can come from that. So you know, another thing too is I've never asked uh, PRS same thing. Like like Pix was saying, I've never gotten the uh, the the artist deal, uh, you know, and said, hey, give me the artist deal or anything. Um, just because uh, this is product I was and and here's it's easy for me. Um, if you look at my channel, and Pixie could probably say the same thing. If you look at my channel before I monetized it, right? Um, which for me, I think was June of 2016. I think is when I monetized it. Might've been June of 2015. My channel is just barely three years old from the day I created it. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. um, and, it, and it's just under two years from when I monetized it. If you look at my videos before I was monetized, I was playing the exact same things. I was playing, I, re I reviewed the, all the videos I reviewed before I even knew you could even get paid on YouTube. I reviewed the Archon, the Custom 50 by PRS, my Custom 24, EVH stuff, Fender stuff. Everything you see me still playing now is what I was playing then. <laughs> so a couple Gibsons here and there. So, and in Pixie's the same way. Everything you were reviewing back in the day, I see you still reviewing now. Your, your old Ibanez's, you know, a couple couple fenders, couple squires. You tend to like what you like. And, and the dream is that those companies will come to you because they notice you're using it all the time. But that doesn't seem right. Be, that's not how it's worked for me so far. Oh, yeah. And, and I doubt fenders coming to anybody. No, they, no, no. They, yeah. They, they're like, okay, where did you chart on Billboard this month? It's like, uh. <laughs> yes. Yeah. They, they seem to be not interested in anybody. Yeah. You know. They don't have to so why yeah do and they don't that? have to and and it's it's fine and so that's how it works yeah. so and well everybody we we did good today i think we answered some questions and had some fun talked about some gear um any anything you want to say before we go steve uh no it's fun hanging out as always looking forward to uh getting back together again at nam yep it'll be a good time and uh, I'm going to remind because it's Black Friday and we can shamelessly plug it. And it's because it's a good idea. If you're interested in one of the Dude Know Your Gear shirts, which is I call the mashup shirts where they mash up two, two channels, um, you can like, check those like, out. Like this, like this one right here, Philip. <laughs> and uh, and uh, how'd you like it? Did you like it? I did. I did like it. I the, did like it. Yeah. yeah. It, when, I, when I did it, I was trying to think like, Okay, we can replace the the regular fit my fist with your fist. You know what I mean? The the pixie. Yeah, yeah. And then I was like, and we and I'm like, well, you got what's? I was gonna call it "What's Up, Dudes." Know your gear, dudes. Know your gear. You know, right? And I was like, right. But dudes, ha you know, dude has had to be on there. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, so no, it yeah. works. It works. So, uh, 
And uh, so anyway, so you can check out that link down below if you're curious about that. Like I said, it's a limited run. Whether we do one or two limited runs, uh, if you guys want a second chance at it, uh, you know, we'll do that. But either way, it won't be a long, long thing. And then other than that, guys, I want to thank you for hanging out with us today on Black Friday, Talking Gear. There was at one point we were like 660-something people. So, uh, so that's awesome. And I appreciate you guys hanging out. And uh, Pixie, give them your, your going out thing. All right, dudes, as always. Thanks for hanging out yeah. and rock on. And I always say know your gear. So we'll see you next Friday.